0: Good morning. good morning. It really is good to be back. You shouldn't think just one Sunday away, you'll feel like it's been a long time. But I feel like it's been a long time. It's just good to see you all. Um, Troy, you did. Family, where did he go? Is he still here? He's actually still here. <laughs> you know, I just want to make sure. Thank you for last Sunday, my friend. I followed from afar. So, those of you who don't know, my name is Preben Wang. I'm the pastor during the interim here. Uh, I um, I was doing a uh, conference in in uh, Atlanta last Sunday. Something that's been on the calendar for a very long time. So, so um, why don't we just take him off the music thing and do do this preaching thing? Just. No, I I um, I so appreciate worshiping here. That you have a most incredible worship team and and uh, people who are involved in so many ways. I want to do something a little bit different this morning, if that's okay with you. Um, kind of slightly different. If if you uh, can find the Book of Nehemiah, you know, you go through the longer uh, kind of things in the beginning of the. Uh, Old Testament, right? So you get to Second Chronicles and there's a short little thing called Esther and then Nehemiah. If you get to Job, you know, and Esther or whatever, go back a little bit. You'll find it. I, I want to talk to us uh, in a different way maybe from what we normally do sometimes with, with uh, more expository text and just look at something that is uniquely urgent, I think. Maybe even uh, significantly uh, important for this particular moment. Uh, we're here together uh, and we are facing a brand new season. Not only is it the beginning of a new year, uh, still, you know, we're still just early February, right? But, but, uh, this is a brand new situation. Many of you are following from uh, places other than right here. Uh, some of you, for, for actual real concern uh, that you have, and, and uh, some of you, you're not sure about whether you are able to distance away. You prefer to distance at this time still. I want to say to you, if you're out at other times for other things, there are space here also in the balcony where you can do that. But but there's something going on. We're looking at a time that is new in ways that we have not done so before, and so to uh, to find a text that kind of matches uh, that situation, I, I want to read a little bit from from uh, Nehemiah and just think through what that would look like. Who are we? As a church, what is our calling? We just sang, with every breath that I take, I will follow Jesus. And, and when the race is run, I will still repeat, right? Not I, but through Christ in me. And and so are these more than words? What, how are we going to think through some of this? What is the identity of a church? How do we kind of get back to just basics? And rethink, maybe some of that recapture the vision and the power and the passion that God had put in our heart. And so I, I'd like to kind of just dwell on some of that a little bit. It seems to me that that uh, of any uh, church, uh, it would have to be true if they are indeed a Christian church, that their identity is shaped in, in at least in three categories. One is that they are Christ-centered. Another one is that they are community-focused. That we belong together and we are set here also for the community around us. And then, of course, that we are mission-oriented. That all kind of pulls in toward that, that center. And, and as we think through that, uh, I'd like for us to look here uh, at this text. If you are found it uh, in Nehemiah, he was, of course... Uh, One of the great characters here, Uh, he is part of the historical kind of writings that we have. He is this uh, person who is called out to, to uh, do something very uniquely. But what makes him maybe more interesting for us than so many other things, that he is a, a lay person. That means that he is not specifically and particularly and directly called to ministry. He has no theological training, if you will. He is not ordained into a specific task in ministry. He is just a person who loves God and who wants to live all out for God. And so in chapter 1, verse 1, if you have it there, we're going to read like this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hecaliah, during the months of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me the remnant in the province who survived the exiles are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have burned. When I heard these words I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And then comes this incredible prayer and then uh, right after that, beginning in chapter two, during the months of Nisan in the 20th year of King Atoxias, when the wine was set before the, for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king, if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the regions west of Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's force, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. And the king granted my request for the gracious hand of My God was on me <clears throat> at first look, it seems somewhat incredible that he cared about the city it 's my prayer this morning that that uh, by reading these verses and looking at them maybe a little bit more carefully also on the background for what 's going on here that that God will use this to encourage us, maybe even to kind of jolt us, if you will, into a, another level of deep care for the city and for the area and the region where we are, are located. One could ask, what is a Jewish person who lived about 2,500 years ago in a place very far away from here? have to say to us in our situation today and I would say much in every way Nehemiah was a kingdom worker so to speak he saw God's vision and wanted to be part of what God was all about we too Our kingdom workers who want to join God in what he's doing. Yes? Four of you. Yes? Yes. All right, here we go. So he was located in Susa, the capital, the metroplex, if you will, of the ancient world where things happened. We are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, the fastest growing area in the nation I just looked it up so if you quibble with me just quibble with you know whoever t- keeps the statistics right? about 8 million people now in this area we call Dallas Fort Worth uh, area there's no other place in the US where more people move to raw numbers than right here there, there's something about it. it is as if God is saying are you getting ready for this It is one thing to send people around the world to other nations, and I want you to, but it's not enough. I'm going to send the nations to you. Get ready with your testimony. That seems to be that underlying thing. Here we see what God is doing right here outside our steps. So think of the vision that is God's vision for a moment, just really quick. We sometimes have, you know, parochialized. Is that a word? i just made it up, right? We have localized. We have we have narrowed in, provincialized. It's, said it's about me getting saved, me and God, and then I have my eternity secured. God's vision is to return the whole creation back to himself as in the beginning when all was worshiping him. What is the vision? When they all fell away, God made it possible for all To return to worship him. What is the purpose of life? To worship God, yes. And enjoy him forever. And so we see the vision of God is this global vision to bring people back into a relationship with him. Where they would see worship him, worship of him. A primary purpose. Of life. If you had been there uh, at the time with, with that kind of global vision uh, during the days of Nehemiah, the lifespan of his, you would have seen some of the greatest character in history right there. Socrates and Plato, the philosophers that in many ways were the founding philosophers for Western culture. Uh, you can certainly make that argument. Uh, they were teaching in Athens when Nehemiah was building in Jerusalem, Herodotus, uh, whom C- Cicero called uh, the father of history, he was writing history and, and scri- writing while Nehemiah was building in in Jerusalem. Aristocus uh, Aristophanes, uh, I should say, Aristophanes, uh, who is called the father of Comedy, this famous playwright for whom, uh, you know, nobility and power and, and politician were, were running in fear and still loving because of his sharp wit and his ability to satirically display the difficulties in society, uh, was, was writing and doing theater in Greece when Nehemiah was building in Jerusalem. Think of that. And even when they all weigh together, Nehemiah is in no way as second to this. The work that he has done and the lasting effect of what he was about uh, is, is felt. And we can see that. I'll come back to that. And he saw this long vision, not just located right in front of him. I see what I can do right now. He was engaged in something that had eternal value. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. And so here it is. About a 100 years has passed since Nebuchadnezzar and and the uh, Babylonian army had destroyed Jerusalem and and tore down the temple and the walls and and taken people exiled and captive and so it laid it there desolate and empty, so to speak. It is an, a mystery that was so bad that if you read, and I'm just trying to paint the, the story for you so you can see that. If you read in the, in the book of Lamentations where, where Jeremiah said is so bad that holy stones from the temple are laying scattered in the streets of Jerusalem. It was a devastation, an abomination to the testimony of the living God Is the living God not alive among you? And so that brings me to what I kind of would like for us to consider this morning. I said, uh, a little bit different in the approach to the text than we sometimes do. When we see Nehemiah, on the other hand, in the task that we are called to do right here... In this northern part, if you will, of Texas, in uh, Louisville, and Denton County, and so on. What is it that presses itself upon us when we relate it to the calling that God has on our lives? Look at it here for a moment, right? And notice uh, first uh, what could have easily happened. And it can happen to us as well. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, hey, how is that my problem? They come from far away. I'm in Susa. They may go through difficult times, but you know, that's a different kind of folk that I am now. I'm serving the king. I'm in prominent places. Yeah, it's true that my predecessors, my, my family going back some generations were, were taken out by the Babylonians and, and led out in exile. But now, hey, I'm on the other side of things, right? I'm one among 10,000. My career is set. I walk in and out of the throne room of the emperor of the world. Why would I need to care? about this, don't they know I'm not one of those sitting down by the riverside and singing dirges and funeral songs about how good it used to be and now it's so bad, I'm not one of those, I am on the top, I belong to the privileged in the Persian society, and so why would I risk my security, My pension, my reality, my career for this. But still, in the midst of this, maybe even in, in spite of this, Nehemiah's concern and his vision was not blurred. Look at it right here. I'm just trying to capture it right here in the text. If you look at verse 4 of chapter 1, you will see that, that he never lost perspective of what his life was primarily about. And so, as it says here, right, how did he respond? Was he responding to a concern for for his own destiny? No. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for the number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. The need of the city mattered to Nehemiah. I read things like that, and I may be emotionally charged with some of these things. I don't know it in a different way, but... But I have to stop and ask the Lord, is that the heart that is beating in my chest as well? Is, is this the kind of concerns that I have? I see a city in need of a word from God, a city in need, from the go- a need for the gospel. Am I there? It mattered to him. He was distant from the troubles that were there. But it mattered to him that the gospel, the message of God's love for people and his desire to see them come back to him was very real. So he cared. And be another way of just putting it, he cared about his city. My my son in law is pastoring up in the New York area and he has this great sign on the church and and uh I just love every time again that he just says Love where you live. That is share your love where you are, where those you live among. So Nehemiah stood before the king and the king responded and said, why do you look sad? You don't normally look sad. I know you're not sick. You must have a deep burden, sorrow of heart. This, this couldn't be hidden. And if you know a little bit about the ancient world, you'll know that he could not allow himself to look like that. But this was chiseled in his countenance, if you will. It was kind of carved in his very being. This burdens me down, and so he, he asked the king to forgive him. And he says, Yes, how can I just be joyful and happy when, when the people around me where I live is such in need of an expression of the presence of the living God? I'm thinking again about where we are, friends. You able to hear this? We, we live in, in this area. And again, I looked this up in, in 2019 is the latest number I could get. 582,000 people moved into Texas. Yes? That's a lot in one year. God is talking to us. About this, and please, please hear this, right? As, as many people uh, uh, in the midst of all of this beginning to kind of loosen their, their relationship with Christ, and, or at least uh, uh, treat it as if it was also a thing, but not the thing, we need to see, is there something here when we look at a person like Nehemiah that can joel us into a new level of care, a new level of desire, To share the gospel. Is it possible for us together? Look. Look around yourself, right? Those of you who are at home or wherever you are, right? Who are looking in and who feel part of that. You're in your home and you're thinking, Hey, how can God use me in my home and from my home and, and through my home? It's the same kind of question. It's hard to look at someone like Nehemiah and not be moved by this. There's little time for, for actual just philosophical debate and discussions about how we disagree about tertiary things when this is the need for a new year and a new time. They keep saying we're going to get back to normal or a new normal. I, I don't even know that we will have a normal. We need to rethink some of the basics. God is faithful. Jesus saves, the spirit empowers, and the church will endure. Those are the basics as we're thinking about how can we be involved in building on the, on the, on the portion of, of this testimony that God has set us to kind of fill the holes up in, if you will. Am I the only one feeling this? that burden that we need to, to rethink what faithfulness looks like as we're moving forward. What if our focus, our prayer focus, our conversations when we meet in the home, when we meet in the Bible groups, when we meet in Sunday school and all, that became our focus. That we are able to find That need where God has said, this is your hole to fix, so to speak. And then find the resources and look for that. Is it possible that he can find that heart right here? I don't know of any church. I just don't. And I know a lot of churches. No church that may be similar, but I don't know any church that had greater opportunity to be God's vessel, God's opportunity, if you will, God's people right here than us. I just don't know that that exists. The kind of resources that are here, the kind of opportunity, the wonderful people, the talent, the everything together. He is called you all, us all, and those who are his people. So let us ask God for a new vision. As we stand at the threshold. I, I call this message our faith. And God's kingdom. In Louisville. Can we think together. About that. Look at uh, Nehemiah again. He was not only did he have concern uh, for the work; he was, in, in strange way, kind of uh, you know, enriched with resources that he had never even asked uh, about or thought about uh, when he met this. And I'm going to kind of rush through this a little bit. Most likely, this was the birthday of the king because we know from Herodotus also that he gave gifts uh, to someone during his birthday. You can have anything you want, and he said, "I want a travel path, I want a visa." And this is where we are uh, with him. And can I get some wood also, some resources? And And God enabled him to do that in a strong way. From a king that could care less about the God of Israel, suddenly God provides what was necessary for the task to be accomplished. Think about this for a moment. When we don't know how can we do this, we, we, we seem to not have what is needed. We seem to not be able to find the inspiration that is there. The resource is there. God is faithful. Don't miss that. No limits could there be for this. What would happen if one you Left this morning, came home, went to a Sunday school class, and say, "Let's just pray and say, what can God use us for in a special way? Is there something we can learn, something that can be jolted to another level where I, we can sing uh, with with absolute depths of heart? Every breath I take, I will follow Jesus." Look back, if you will, in your text. And just look at his heart. I can't get over that. He's nowhere close. And he's nowhere close also in in level, so to speak. Whatever decisions he made about this would give him trouble and hardship. But the point here is that his vision was clear. The other things he did were important, but this had most important thing. And and notice, he is not one with a special call. He's is, he is not an Abraham that said, I want you to leave here and do this. He is not uh, a Moses that, that has a special calling to lead uh, my people out of, of captivity. He He's not a, a King David that is specifically selected by some kind of prophet. He, he is not a Jeremiah that from the depths of his heart, uh, I mean, even from before he was born, uh, he was called to do with this certain thing he was just a man he was a worker someplace he was a businessman he was just a regular dude who has not no specific thing who heard the call of God yes said God needs you to focus and so he did he was one of these kind of charismatic, catalytic kind of figures, somewhat in my brain at least, you know, with, who would just draw people by by the very thing he would say, it's like a like a like a Churchill, right? My grandparents told me about this. They heard on the radio how he he rallied all the Allies with just a few terse sentences when when there seemed to be the darkest night out there. He said, "Never had so many people." Needed to give so much thanks to so few. And it rallied them all with this. And this is somewhat of the same thing you see in chapter two right here. Nehemiah comes and he says, You see the trouble we were in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild. And then next verse, they said, Let's start rebuilding if we and churches around even around the globe but certainly around uh, this fantastic area and this incredible state and from here out around the globe could capture that imagine what could happen and so let me end by saying this Nehemiah was obedient, sends God's call to stay focused. Not sure what would happen, but all kinds of things happened. Centuries happened, right? So the Persians will be beat out by the Greeks, and Greeks will take over Jerusalem while Nehemiah's work stood. The Greeks will get kicked out by the Maccabees, and Nehemiah's work still stood. And the Magabees would be kicked out by the Romans. And the work still stood. Until the Romans came. And one day, a little 12-year-old kid walked in through these gates. And said, I've come to do the work of my father and again 18 years later or so that same kid now a man came in to finish that work while all the work that Nehemiah had done to prepare people to receive that son when he came could there even be something there friends for us we look with a grand vision it may not be just about me and my neighbors but after them and after them so when the king comes there will be a people who have all heard and who is ready to say yes on oath to Christ are we hearing this you know when you read about paul and his travels it says that he came to Ephesus right after he'd been, been kicked out, so to speak, in another place. But he came to Ephesus and he stayed for two years until, it says. You can look it up in chapter 19 of Acts. Until every household in Asia Minor had heard. Oh, wow. Could that happen <laughs> Here? Would that be possible? That we could catch that kind of vision for what we are about? God is faithful. Jesus saves. The spirit empowers. And the church will endure. Those are the basics as we rethink what does it look like to be God's people as we go into this next season, that no one, regardless of what they say, no one knows what will look like. But those four things stand. We want to be also Christ-centered, community-focused, love where you live, and, of course, mission-oriented. I'm not sure how to end this, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. This was what the Lord laid in my heart this morning. So let's just have a season of prayer. Can we we stand up and just pray? And through that prayer that we say, either on the lines or between the lines, and through whatever comes out, God, here I am. Use me. And we want to say together as a church, Lord, here we are. Use us. Father I am so grateful for this wonderful wonderful people right here those who are here in this building those who are not able to be here but who follows and prays and 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 do what they can where they're located from their house Father let us together capture a vision that comes from God when we hear that there's a need for the gospel to talk up God's glory and God's grace and God's love, and to show people the way to the Savior. We can stand before your throne, proclaim your praise, bring into our lives a new desire. Father, should there be some here that said, I I don't have any purpose like that in my life, speak directly. If that's you who are listening here, we are here to pray with you, to talk to you, to to share with you how you can have that relationship and find that kind of purpose. Father, speak to moms and to dads to talk to their children, to talk together, to commit their home in this way, talk to grandparents, talk to friends, workmates. May we see the day is here and you are giving us our section to be faithful to and to rebuild allow us to hear Father like we haven't heard maybe for a while a word of encouragement from the throne of God